I'm Alex McDougald, and this is In Conversation With, a podcast series in which guests share their stories, thoughts, and insights. Today, I am back with Professor Andy Yap to continue to explore the world of executive presence and soft power leadership strategies. In part one of our conversation, Andy and I spoke about what is meant by executive presence, the ways in which it is typically displayed and how building relationships with others is often key to good executive presence. To what extent does this all come more naturally to people? And to what extent is it a skill set that can be nurtured, so built up over time through experience? Well, I think any leadership skill has a nature component and a, and, a, and a nurture component. The good news is that we can mostly nurture you know, a lot of these, which is why we have courses and all that, because we can actually train you. For example, uh, in negotiations, we find that when we train you in negotiations, you do better in negotiations. When we train you in networking, you do better in networking. When we train you in executive presence, we do find that you become better at executive presence. There are very clear uh, contrasting differences between and after you take some of the problems that we have. Um, but there is definitely a, a nature component. I mean, attractive executive presence and charisma and a component of executive presence uh, involves you being able to attract people. Clearly, some people may be more attractive than others through their personality, their looks, uh, physical attractiveness, and all those different things that will cause you to make other people like you more. And therefore, there's a nature component. Um, some people are also better at socializing with others. You know, for example, extroverts are more... Uh, comfortable and uh, and motivated to socialize with people, and therefore they start learning skill sets, social skills, much more you know much more quickly than some the introverts, for example. And, and those skill sets that they've developed and accumulated you know, throughout their lives absolutely will help them to be better at persuading others, influencing people, and getting people to be attracted to them. On the other hand, these skill sets can also be learned. I mean, figuring out and knowing what you lack, having the self-awareness to know about what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and then working on your weaknesses or, or transforming your weaknesses to a strength, that's the other way where you can actually learn about these skills. And across the many years that I've, I've taught executives leadership skills, and I can tell you that a lot of them have, have not necessarily extroverts. Many of them are introverts, and they, they learn to be more extroverted in situations that requires them, that requires them to be extroverted. For example, I often tell people, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're introvert or extrovert. Sometimes the situation requires you to exhibit certain kinds of behaviors. For example, in times of crisis, you're not going to be sitting there quietly when everyone's panicking. You need to take charge. You need to show enthusiasm. You need to show that you're in control. Even though you know that you're not in control, you're probably peeing your pants, but you need to show that face that you're in control, guide people along, give your team confidence. And that's an important and crucial behavior that leaders need to show. <laughs> it's funny because, yes, I mean, that was one question you sort of semi-answered it there, the introvert versus extrovert discussion. There's the approach presence in different ways, perhaps, just naturally. If you look at the leaders across the world, business leaders, politicians, right, you know, just name, you know, give you some names, for example, um, Abraham Lincoln, Warren Buffett, Eleanor Roosevelt, or Barack Obama. Many people may think they're extroverts, but if you, if you look carefully at you know, their background and how people describe them, they are you know, also introverts. You know, they, they are people who are not known to be just big party people. They, they, they have you know, a quiet self. They have you know, what we call quiet leadership in some ways. Executive presence is revealed not just how loud you are or how quiet you are, but really the confidence that you give to people when you interact and when you speak to them. 
quiet introverts can be more thoughtful, they're more insightful, they're more reflective. At the same time, they may be better at perspective taking in some extent because they're, they're, they're thinking, they're more observant of some of these cues. And therefore, those cues and those skill sets then help them to be better at perspective taking, which then also helps them to be more charismatic and attractive to, to others because, hey, you're taking my perspective and therefore I want to relate with you and interact with you. So all of these skill sets are highly relevant to leadership um, and therefore that will really help them develop executive presence. It's not just about shouting and screaming and showing that you're really confident with your body language the whole time. But, you know, sometimes a tear showing sadness. I remember there was one particular incident when I was uh, living in the U.S. and there was a, a shooting in a school in the U.S. And, and there was one of the few times you see the President of the United States and back then was uh, Barack Obama. He shed a tear uh, 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 in the news. And, you know, people would say, hey, you know, as a leader, you should show a strong face and you shouldn't be, you know, sharing, uh, showing so much emotion, especially negative emotions all the time. But that moment was important. That was authentic. And that was showing empathy to the people who were hurt by the incident. And that is a mark of executive presence because people now are attracted to you because you are authentic and I trust you and I want to work with you and I believe you. I suppose when you think of leaders and leadership, for many people, there might be a disconnect depending on the hierarchy within the organization and how it's viewed. Disconnect between a senior leader and someone, you know, at a different level, if you like, there's that space. You can squash that space, can't you, through your presence and being authentic and relatable? Oh, I mean, absolutely. So people sometimes, you know, misperceive uh, executive presence and think that it's all about showing confidence. It's just purely open body posture, upright postures. And I mean, that's true in the most part. Um, but we find a lot of research is not always true. And there are some situations where you, you, you want to show vulnerability because vulnerability can give you power. Um, in, in, in my class on power and politics, I often tell people that, you no, know, you must understand when to show vulnerability and that's really powerful, especially for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, it shows authenticity when you're vulnerable and at the right time you show emotions that you're vulnerable. Um, people would, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're human. Hey, I, I trust you because you're not faking a presence the whole time. So words like, you know, mm, uh, uh, hesitations, communication patterns that show weakness, we, you know, in public speaking uh, sessions, we always tell people never to use these words. You know, when you're speaking to an audience, try not to use hesitations or powerless language. But what we find in some research is that if you were to work with others in a team and work very closely with others, we find that other people like you more when you use such words uh, of weakness because it also reveals that, hey, you're not just, you know, uh, really alpha and just like want your way through. You, you're actually listening. You are showing weakness. You're less threatening. And therefore, that leads to liking. And that, you know, in a, in a, when you work with close others, that really helps. Well, the other setting that I could think about uh, relates to a bias that people have, um, a perceptual bias. Uh, it's not accurate, but people tend to have that. So people tend to think that um, competent people are less warm. In other words, if you're very competent, you're very cold. And for example, if you look at professions like you know lawyers and judges, oh, if you think of a judge, you tell someone that this person is a judge, oh, this person is probably very intelligent, very competent, probably not very nice, probably maybe not very warm. At the same time, people who are too friendly or too warm, you may have a bias to think that they're not very smart. Um, it's a bias that people have, that, but it's, it's not accurate, but people, some people actually have the bias. So, so what do you do? Um, research in psychology suggests there's an effect we call the blemishing effect whereby if you were to reveal a weakness outside your area of competence, people perceive you to be 
uh, warmer, less cold, and assuming that you've already established competence first. So for example, if you're a pilot, people perceive pilots to be competent and therefore somewhat cold. You know, you spill some coffee or you spill something somewhere, um, uh, what we find is that people perceive it to be more warm, less cold, because the, the, the weakness is outside your area of competence and you already established that you are, you are competent. The one uh, particular incident, uh, kind of embarrassing this, but uh, how about inc- one incident that, I, that actually got me some insights on this was many, many, many years ago, I can emphasize many years ago, I was watching uh, this uh, reality TV show called The Bachelor. So there were, I think there were a number of uh, ladies and there was one very handsome bachelor. I remember this scene at a beach. You know, he had long, uh, he had blonde hair and you know, he was riding this horse and it was a white horse. He was very all white. You know, it's kind of like Prince Charming. They would try to create this whole fairy tale kind of look. So he was riding along the beach and then all the ladies were like, oh, he's so handsome. He's so perfect. And then as he got off his horse, he fell face first to the sand. And at that point, being like a, a novice, I'm, I have no clue about psychology, don't know what about, you know, about executive presence or anything. I thought, oh boy, come on, this guy is really clumsy and these ladies are not going to like him anymore. I was wrong. You know, the moment he got on the laser, oh, he's even more perfect now because he has, you know, he's human after all. He's like all of us. He's, you know, he's brought, you know, he's like, you know, an angel from heaven that fell to earth, you know, kind of thing. And so that got me this whole understanding that, hey, actually blemishes can be a very interesting way of uh, making you seem more human, more approachable and more genuine, uh, more authentic in some ways. And that could actually attract people. How do you do all of this in the Zoom age? Executive presence demonstrating that over a virtual medium is it is it more complicated? Are there things to take into consideration? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's clearly different. Um, one is clearly from you know the good news is that now we have you know a camera and then we can see one another. Um, if it was if it was you know two decades three decades ago, we only have a telephone. It's even worse to show any form of executive presence, right? All you have is your voice, the intonation of your voice, that you use um, that to display executive presence. With the camera, you can definitely see one another, and that's better. But the problem is because you can see one another, if, you, if you're not careful about what people see, if you're not self-aware of what people see, uh, that, could, that could actually hurt your executive presence. So there are a couple of you know, pointers that you, could, you, know, you, you may want to, uh, that I tell my executives to, to think about and be, to be aware about. One is lighting. As simple as that. You know, is your lighting good? Can people see your face? You know, some people love, you know, they have this, be- for example, some, some people may have this beautiful scene behind them in the window. And so they sit in front of the window. Um, and what often, what oftentimes what you see is a shadow. You see, because the, 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 the light behind them is bright and light in front of them, you're going to see a shadow. So that's not good because, you know, imagine making a pitch um, with that kind of uh, uh, um, setup and all your clients or your bosses see is a shadow. They cannot see your facial expressions. They cannot see many things. They can't even see your face. That wouldn't work. So you must be aware of what people see. So lighting is really important. Second is also the framing of the camera. The thing is, you don't have enough cues when you are speaking on Zoom, So which is why people overlap over one another very often on Zoom. And so you want to give them as many cues as possible in a more naturalistic setting as possible. So you want to, you know, some people... I call them floating heads because I can only see the head. I cannot see the body or anything. And so whenever they move their heads, it's kind of obvious. Whenever they are looking, checking their emails, it's also kind of obvious because they're closer to the camera. So move the camera away so they can see maybe the upper part of your body. They can see your hands. You can gesture your hands. Those things matter because then you can use your, your gestures and your hands and your body language to, 
to create some form of executive presence, you know, to influence people, to show they are confident. Um, your hands speak. Your hands tell a lot of tell a story when you're able to use your hands to communicate. And so you really want to do that. So lighting, camera position, and the distance between your camera and yourself, the framing, those things all matter. There is one common theme throughout, and that is self-awareness. And I think you mentioned this at the beginning with regards to leaders inspiring others. And it's something I, I think of often as well. You know, the more you understand yourself and the more you are self-aware yourself, the better you can understand other people. It really starts from within. And then that will then uh, impart and then it'll have so many um, positive benefits for the way you talk, inspire, lead, gain trust, gain confidence. Self-awareness, does it play a core role in being effective in crafting executive presence and maintaining it? Yeah, you're right. It's a, it is a, a fundamental skill to have. And in, in, in my own opinion, I, I think that this is one of the toughest skills that leaders need to master. Because as leaders, you're so focused on the goal, the company goal, the goal that your boss has you know, asked you to achieve, and you just run with it. You just plan and strategize and you just try to work towards the goal. And you forget that to achieve those goals, you need other people to work with you and help you. And when you need other people to work with you and help you, you need to be aware about how other people perceive you and whether they want to follow your lead. But people forget those steps, right? They go straight to you know, trying to find ways to achieve those goals and think about strategy right away. But really, you need to be, be aware about how people perceive you, you know, and, and whether it's accurate to how you perceive yourself. And so it takes a lot of humility to actually work on, on self-awareness. But we find that leaders who are highly self-aware are usually leaders who are more successful and leaders that are more liked. In some ways, you know, when you do a 360, bosses, subordinates, and peers um, like them the most and, and value them the most. And so self-awareness is a crucial, very, very crucial skill set that leaders need to have. Okay, well, thank you very much, Andy. It's been really interesting speaking to you about it. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you to our audience for listening in. If you would like to know more about Professor Yap or about our new Executive Presence and Influence program, you will find the links in the podcast description. 